There's a lot of other things we're going to talk about. But first, we are going to get to our friend, Brian Murphy, WRAL Sports investigative reporter. He joins us. Doesn't have to go back to Greensboro today because uh, North Carolina and NC State are uh, are out. Can we start with the potential for a sports gambling bill to uh, hit the floor of the North Carolina State Legislature? Where are we with that, sir? Yeah, I expect that next week we'll be uh, we'll be talking about actual legislation I, next I week. Next week, I, I know I've, I, I'm <laughs> starting to feel like the boy who cried wolf here, but um, my all indications are, at least to me, that uh, that next week the bill will actually be unveiled, and then we can go from there through the process. Uh, that would be fantastic if uh, they could finally get a bill uh, to that. What, what is the the holdup? Or is is the holdup the bill, or is the holdup like a lot of other stuff that is going on? Yeah, I think the holdup is a lot of other stuff that's going on. For example, there, there's like been 346 bills introduced in in the House already, right. and that's not to mention all the bills in the Senate. So it's, you know, I know we have sometimes a narrow focus on the yeah. sports gambling legislation. They they have a, a much broader focus on on everything else that's happening. Also, remember Jason saying who's the primary sponsor of this bill and kind of the leader of it is also the director or the, the head of the budget committee. And just yesterday they introduced the appropriations act, which is, you know, a $26 billion budget for the state of North Carolina. Um, so, so sometimes things take maybe a little more precedence than, than the sports gambling. Bill. No question about that. Even though it's a, it's a big deal because it does mean state revenue, uh, like a, like a lottery means state revenue. Uh, and it's also, uh, well, I'll just use the, the, term quality of life issue uh it's no but it's an entertainment it's like something for your citizens uh you know especially as many who who want something like this to happen uh do we have anything leaked about uh whether or not we would have um any restrictions on that uh because i know last year they tried to at the very end they put can't bet on college sports anything like that do we know what the tax rate would be or are we still just kind of flying blind no, I, we have a lot of that information. The bill will be very similar to what the end bill ended up last year. College sports is back in the bill. Okay. Uh, the tax rate is back at 14%, which is where it ended uh, last session when, when it failed by a single vote in the House. I think we're looking at, at a January 1st uh, type of start date um, if, if this gets passed. Obviously, there's there's a lot of steps before that. But, um, yeah, the fees have been raised, uh, you know, between the Senate bill that did pass and the House bill that did not pass. They had increased a lot of the fees. All, all that stuff is, is in the new bill, um, which, again, I expect to see next week. All right. Well, uh, we're looking forward to that. Brian, uh, uh, Brian Murphy, WRAL Sports investigative reporter, is joining us here on the Adam Gold Show. Did you happen to catch the, the Nick Saban interview with Ross Dellinger on Sports Illustrated's website, SI.com? In where Saban, uh, Saban basically said, didn't basically said he said uh, athletes no longer go to schools that will help them create the most value for themselves. They go to schools based on where they can make the most money. Did you have, did did you catch that? Uh, in I did. I, I read. I read a lot of it. Yep. Or what? What are your thoughts on Saban's problem? He says he has no problem with nil. But he seems to have a problem with, like, at the very least, collectives. Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny for a coach who's, you know, the most highly paid coach in, in college football and who has switched jobs many, many times. I mean, he was the coach at Michigan State. 
then he left to be the coach at LSU. And I'm sure he didn't choose that because he loved New Orleans food. I'm sure he chose it because LSU was willing to pay him a lot more than Michigan State was. And then he left for the Dolphins, who were willing to pay him a lot more than LSU was. (laughs) Um, And he stayed at Alabama uh, in part because they have a great football tradition, but also because they pay him more than any other college would pay him. Um, I just think – Coaches and, and this has happened, you know, since since NIL kind of started. When coaches start talking about uh, players are only doing this for the money, I, I mean, it's, the hypocrisy meter is just, you know, <laughs> buzzing over and over and over again. And, and nobody, you know, I, they don't seem to have the self awareness to to figure that out. No, I I think in in every situation like this, and we've had coaches locally who. Uh, were upset at just like the recruiting calendar or when the decisions had to be make to uh, made to go into the draft because it does impact the way they either do or have done for a long time business, right? Whether it's recruiting, roster management, retention, all of that kind of gets uh, played with when the I guess the rules change. Um, the I, I do think that he had a point about the collectives. In this regard, and I don't think the collectives are bad, uh, I, This, but this is exactly what the NCAA warned against going in. When they knew that NIL and the athletes being allowed to get money from third parties, meaning uh, not the schools, you know, uh, could be direct from sponsors or even payments from boosters, right, are, are essentially legal now, um, when... When they knew that was going to be the case, they said, we do not want NIL to be used as a recruiting inducement. And in many cases, that's what the collectives are doing. Uh, They are providing or we'll we'll pay you this out of this uh, out of this wing. It's not of the athletic department. It's not it's not uh, connected to the university, but it is loosely connected to the university. And that's what Saban is talking about. It sounds to me like Alabama doesn't have a good collective. <laughs> well, I, th- I, I think a lot of it is control, right? When Nick Saban was the one making the decisions about who gets to come to, to Alabama, um, he gives them a lot of control on that roster. Now suddenly there are others out there, and, and maybe this doesn't happen at Alabama, but I think we're seeing it at Texas A&M and other places when, hey, the, the boosters, the collective has put a million dollars to get this guy to campus. Right. Well, that certainly puts the coach in a in a different spot. He's not the ruler. He's not the emperor of everything anymore. When people are buying players, and 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 again, I don't mean that in a bad way. When players are, are coming to campus with a paycheck, with a car, with all that, it shifts the the, the coach athlete relationship, and it certainly switches the coach booster relationship when when they're the one responsible for getting a kid to campus and not the recruiting. Uh, coordinator or not the head coach and and i think that's what we're hearing from coaches is this change in this dynamic of we were the the lords of our mm-hmm. kingdom here and suddenly we have a lot more power centers and i'm not 100 percent in charge of what happens at alabama even though i'm being paid like i'm 100 I'm <laughs> in charge and even though i mean quite honestly i'm being judged on what happens at alabama jimbo fisher's being judged at what happens at texas a&m and at some point, I think if you gave him truth serum, he would say, well, I didn't really get to pick the entire roster. Um, I had, you know, boosters and, and other people doing that for me in some ways. Uh, yeah. I mean, look, bo- boosters have been you know, underground, the kind of the driving force, especially at places like Auburn and, you know, uh, and Texas a and I mean, Texas, there's the booster culture is just, I mean, it's it's becoming more on the surface now. We're starting to see it. 
Uh, and it, I mean, it's probably not all that healthy, but it has always been there. Uh, now we're just seeing more of it. It's like the iceberg has finally broken through the surface. Oh, and now, oh, that's what that that's what's going on there. Uh, by and, the and way, I think it's to tie this back to what you were talking about in North Carolina and, and the basketball tournament. I think you know, in a different environment, maybe we don't see all those guys come back from last year's team. But the fact that NIL money was available, um, the fact that they they could profit off their name, image, and likeness, I think changes the decisions for a lot of players. Mm. I'll be interested. That's to see a good thing, though, isn't it? Sure, I, so, and I'm not, but I'm saying like you know, so a team that may have broken up in the past comes back, mm-hmm. gets you know, has these high expectations and underperforms, uh, you know, or or and or doesn't listen to Hubert or however whatever you think happened to the North Carolina team this year, I think it's safe to say that team would not have existed in a pre uh, NIL era. The, those guys would have dispersed; they would have gone their separate ways. But because of the environment, the year that they happened to to reach the Final Four, there was a lot of incentives for them to come back. Yeah, our, our, you know, it's funny. They, they're asking Armando Baycott those questions now. Are you going to come back for another year? If Armando Baycott comes back for essentially his COVID year, then he is going to make more money at UNC than he could make playing basketball anywhere because he's not an NBA player. So he would he could play overseas and he could make, I think he could make some pretty nice money. But I don't think he can make the money he's going to make as uh, a fifth-year player at UNC. I just don't. Uh, but it, he so he does have an interesting decision uh, to make. Uh, sp- speaking of money, did, does Greensboro lose out at all? Because we don't have we have Duke and Miami on one half, but no offense to Virginia and Clemson, both by the way close enough to drive, and there will be fans there, but. What does Greensboro lose out by not having State Carolina or at least one of them? Yeah, I was actually surprised at the number of Virginia fans there last night. They traveled. I th- yeah, I thought I thought I figured it was all NC State fans cheering against Carolina, but when you looked <laughs> up, it was it was all orange. Um, I, yeah, certainly Greensboro loses. I, I will say, and I know everyone is in love with the tournament in Greensboro, and I, I'm I'm you know not here to to step on that at all. But you had North Carolina and NC State in the night sessions of both Wednesday and Thursday, and I was there for both of them. Those were not capacity venues. I mean, the the, the place was not filled. Really, um, it was not. It was there was a lot of people there. I'm not, no, no denying that, but but it wasn't jam packed. And now, obviously, that's a Wednesday night and a Thursday night. People got to travel. They got you know kids in school and all that stuff. I understand, but I I was expecting just you know. It's back in Greensboro. This place is going to be packed. You've got yeah. Carolina and State both nights, um, and it, and it wasn't. It was very good crowds, and and I don't know exactly what the the capacity was, but uh, so uh, anyhow, to answer your question, I think they're going to lose a lot. I mean, there were lots and lots of Carolina fans there uh, the last two nights, and and I can't imagine they're going to show up to to root against Duke tonight. Um, and so, yes, I, I think it's going to lack some of that. And we'll see how many Duke fans travel. And if it's Duke, Virginia on, on Saturday night, I, I do think that'll be a good crowd, but certainly not what you, you know, we're hoping for if you could get State or Carolina into the, into the Final Four there. Duke has an axe to grind with all three teams that are remaining. All of the orange that is in that building tonight, <laughs> Duke has an axe to grind. They got blown out by Miami the, after they beat North Carolina the first time. Uh, and they lost late against Clemson, and they got hosed at Virginia. So Duke, I don't know if they're going to get revenge. I don't know about any of that, uh, but uh, they're playing really well. So it should they, be. They looked like the best team in the tournament. I mean, 
having seen yeah. all the teams play over the last couple of days, Duke looked like the best team in the tournament and probably the team most capable of going far in, in March in, in the big tournament. I, they are to me. They are a hundred percent matchup determined. Quickness is going to bother them, but if they don't have to deal with a lot of quickness, Duke's big and they're skilled, and it could be a lot of fun. You are a lot of fun, Brian Murphy, WRAL sports investigative reporter at Murph's Turf on Twitter. Thank you. We'll talk again next week, my man. All right, thanks, Adam.